I was actually um, praying about that over the past two or three weeks. And I was getting a little nervous. I was like, man, you gave us such a good word for 2022 that we are to be established. And I was like, I don't know if people are going to be expecting like a different word now for 2023. Like, what's the word, Lord? And I was a little concerned because most of the time that I, I mean, I've been, somebody asked me not to, just the other day, how, how many years have you been pastoring? And I told them 73. I, I have no idea. I don't keep track of that, that, that stuff. But it was like, we received this word, and now I wonder if we're supposed to get another word. And I was a little nervous and just praying, and, and he gave me one. So I got really excited. Because now I can be up here and be fully clothed. Like, uh, it just means like I'm ready and prepared. That sounded really bad, and that's okay. So... You guys want to hear the word? I got to lay the foundation so that when you actually receive the word, you'll receive it in its entirety and the fullness in which God intended for you to receive it. So last year it was to be established. I think that was extremely important, not just for our church here locally, but for the church at large. Like to be established means to be set, to be secure, and to be strengthened, the three S's, S-cubed. And uh, I think it was it's important because as our world gets kind of like loopy and crazy and going through all sorts of different stuff, I don't know, maybe the world's always been this weird, and I've just been awakened to it. I don't know. If that's the case, then put me back to sleep because I don't like it. But regardless, as Christians... We need to be set, which means when the world throws you a curveball, you don't turn away from God. You are set, like concrete is set. You can't be tossed to and fro. You can't be knocked off kilter by the enemy that no matter what comes down the pike, you're like, hey, this might hurt for now, but when it comes to eternity, I am set. I will live forever in the Lord's graces. I'm secure. And I'm strengthened. That's what it means to be established. So if you have a crisis that hits you, you might, you know, stuff hurts. We live in a sin-stained world, as we say. And when something happens, I don't think that we, just because we're Christians, that we're not going to feel the impact of this. We're, We're established. And not only are we established as individuals, but we are established as a church. I don't know if you are aware of all the goings and comings of the church, but we kind of changed a little bit of our governmental structure uh, this year. Actually, it's better. We are, um, we're a real boy. No, we're a real church. So that's all been good. And we hired Brock this year. And that's, amen. And, uh, we always throw these curveballs at the fiscal team, by the way. I don't know if you're like fully like, we do have now a page on our internet website of all the notes for the meetings. Um, so if you are like, want to be in the know, Eric's probably the only one that actually reads that page. But anyway, um, <laughs> you do. All right. There's other people. Like that's such a good thing that we are like fully 
transparent. That's the word. Chris is afraid that I'm going to use the naked word again. Um, that we're fully transparent. So that's super awesome. That's something that was new this year. And we ended the year with like, not even like thinking this through. That's the way the Lord works with me. If it requires a thought process, he does the thinking before he tells me. Um, but we got like new signs at the end of the year out front. Did you all notice that? We have a new Salt Church sign in the front yard out there. A couple of people were like, how long has that been there? I'm like, just recently relaxed. You're okay. So all this stuff has happened. And uh, after hiring Brock, one of the um, patterns that we have established, that Brock and I have established, is that we read the Bible together together at the beginning of every day that we're here. So on, tomorrow morning, we will be in my office reading the Word. And we do that every single day to start our day. And one, one morning, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Brock was reading Genesis chapter 47. You can turn there, Genesis chapter 47. And I just got a download from the Lord for Salt Church for this coming year. So I'd like to read that to you. And kind of lay the foundation for us. But I need to give you a little bit of history of where we are at in Genesis 47. How many of you know that it is super awesome to get a download from the Lord? Like it doesn't even matter. Like honestly, if, if you won the lottery today and you got like, $10 million, and you got a download from the Lord, I would be more excited about the download from the Lord. Like, that's how awesome it is to hear the voice of the Lord. And Brock's reading, and I'm zoned out. Like, I'm just receiving this download, and it was awesome. And so I wanted to kind of set the table and get you guys in a position in which you could receive this, because if you receive it without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then it's just a Al Gernovich word, which is just toss it away. But if you're receiving it from the Lord, it's better than winning the lottery. Trust me. You're receiving from God himself. This is a scene in the Bible in which Joseph... Okay, let me, let me give you a quick background in case you don't know the history. Joseph was born in a family. It's like the original family of the 12 tribes. His dad, whose name was Jacob, and God changed his name. Does anybody know what God changed his name to? Israel. So this is like the, the very beginnings of the nation of Israel. He had 12 sons and one daughter. Anybody remember the daughter's name? No. No. <laughs> I, I actually kind of, I kind of was hoping somebody would say it because I kind of have forget. Is it Dinah? Dinah. Dinah is the name. I'm like, I, I asked the question and then it was like blank. Oh, what was her name? Okay. Dinah was the girl's name. So Joseph was born and he's not near the top. In other words, in the birth order, he's, I think, second to last. Joseph. And when he was born, he was born by the pretty mom. There was three different women involved. This is really, I could go into history for a long time on this, but just kind of go with me because some of you are sitting there like, 
how can somebody have three wives? Okay, just forget about that for now. And uh, it was just a blessing to have children. He had all these sons and one daughter. And when Joseph was born, Joseph starts having these dreams from God. God, remember I said how awesome it is to get a download from God? Joseph got downloads from the Lord in dreams. And he basically explained to his family, by the way, Joseph is a type, we call him a type of Jesus. The Old Testament is full of symbols and full of like examples of um, just kind of deep truths of the word. And a type and a shadow, which is mentioned in the New Testament, it just means that this is like just like a picture in the Old Testament of what is going to happen in the New Testament. Joseph was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. So in other words, Joseph was like, this is, uh, he has some of the characteristics that Jesus himself possesses, which we all do, by the way. But this was a legitimate type of Christ in the Old Testament. He had these dreams And in these dreams, uh, I'm not going to go into all of the details of them, but basically God told him that his family was going to bow to him someday, that he was going to have authority over his own family. How many know that that would not be cool if you were the older brother? Right? Like, who do you think you are? You know, God told me that I'm going to have authority over you someday. What? I... Help change your diaper. I know, I know who you are. You're like, that's what God did. The, the brothers got jealous. You all know the story. The brothers got jealous because his dad, Jacob, made him a multicolored coat. Remember, he gets this coat, which actually the multicolored coat uh, was symbolic as to, uh, it was like a wealthy coat, and it was symbolic that you don't have to work because you're my favorite son. If you're a dad, don't have favorites. Well, I I did, but all of them were favorites. I told them all individually, you're my favorite. Don't tell your brother and your sisters. But I told all four of them that individually. Just told them they were my favorite. So Joseph was the favorite son. They had these dreams from God. And the brothers got jealous. So they plotted to kill him, but they decided, let's not kill him. Let's make some money off of this man. And they sold him into slavery. Now, that's a messed up family. Some of you guys might think, I come from a messed up family. Were you sold into slavery by your siblings? If Until you've reached that level, this family was more messed up than yours. He gets sold into slavery. Now we fast forward. He becomes a slave for a number of years, only to be promoted to be an inmate. He got falsely accused of committing a crime, and they put him in prison. And it wasn't prison like we have today. It was a tough prison. Uh, The Psalms uh, have a description about uh, Joseph's um, feet were fettered in shackles while he was in prison. That's not a good picture in my mind. He interprets some dreams. I'm fast-forwarding this. Some of you guys know the story. You know I'm skipping over a whole bunch of things, but... Somehow he gets promoted out of being an inmate because he interprets the dreams of the king accurately. The only one that was able to do so. One of my favorite verses in all of Genesis is when he was called by the Pharaoh to interpret the dreams. Because here we have this man 
that's been a, that's been went from a favored son, went to being a slave, going to being an inmate, and he knows that at some point in time God's going to promote him. But until that time, he is an, he is an in, he is in prison, shackled, and he probably I would think in his human brain would think that the only way I'm ever going to get out of this is if the king himself releases me. And a number of years go by, the king summons him to be an audience before him to interpret dreams. And the king says to Joseph, I've had these dreams and I need them interpreted. Someone told me that you can interpret dreams. What say you? The very first thing he says is, I cannot do it. But God can. I love that verse. I can't do it, but God can. He gets promoted. The dreams basically said that you're going to have seven years of plentiful harvest, lots of wealth and riches and food, to be followed by seven years of worldwide famine. Those are what the dreams, this, how he interpreted the dreams to the king. The king's super impressed. So he promotes him. Now he's like second in command, they say, governor of all of Egypt. He's been promoted to this high place because God promoted him because God gave him the interpretation of these dreams. Super cool. Love this story. Joseph was an awesome man of God. Let me just throw this out at you. Just kind of a sidebar information. God, how many of you know God's all-powerful? How many of you know that God is all-knowing? How many of you know that God can make things happen? God knew at least, I'm sure more, but at least seven years in advance that there would be a worldwide famine. So why didn't God just stop the famine? Just food for thought or lack of food for thought. Instead, he chose Joseph to, to administer the famine. Just like there's stuff that happens in our world today. And we always think, why, Lord? Why? Why can't you just stop that? Why can't you just make this happen? He does make things happen, but he makes it happen through his church. He makes things happen through us. We have to be in tune enough with the Holy Spirit to understand what he is saying so that we can operate with his kind of power. That's his plan. So Joseph uh, has been promoted. They went through seven years of plenty. Now they're in the middle of seven years of famine. And all of a sudden, his own family comes to Egypt because they need food. And the only place in the whole planet that has food is Egypt. Fast forward um, I know that I preached on uh, the life of Joseph once for um, three months, and I'm trying to give it all to you guys in about 10 minutes. But so we get to this awesome scene in the Bible. Joseph hadn't seen his own father. He hadn't seen Jacob in 22 years. He's seen some of his brothers because they had come a couple of times to receive food from the only place that had food the Augie's Pizza of the world at that time, was in Egypt. And they came and put in their order, grabbed, the, grabbed it, and took it back. 
anybody else depressed as much as I am that Augie's Pizza is no longer like, you know, I had my own little personal Augie's Pizza funeral last week, and I'm a little bit still grieving over that. I drove by Augie's Pizza over the holidays, and I saw the men and family coming out with a bunch of pizzas. I was like, you guys! No, just kidding. So anyway, he had given them food a couple of different times, but he desired to to have a, a reunion with his dad and with his whole family. And chapter 47 is this reunion in which he gets to see his dad for the first time, but also his family is being presented to the king, to King Fair. He actually gave instructions to the brothers about what they are to say. You ever been in a situation like that when you have this awesome meeting that's getting ready to happen and you want it to go so well that you actually start giving little instructions on say this and don't say that, you know? When Chris and I were dating and I got to meet the family, she, she just told me, don't say anything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So they're getting ready for this big, huge meeting in front of King Pharaoh, who has a lot of power, a lot of authority. Let me read a couple uh, verses to you from Genesis 47, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. If you notice back in the last couple of verses of chapter 46, uh, Joseph literally tells his brothers and his family, don't say that you're shepherds, for shepherds are an abomination to the people of Egypt. So the Pharaoh says, what is your occupation? And they immediately say, we're shepherds. I find that tremendous. I find that super honest and actually kind of humorous. You literally just said what we told you not to say. But in other words, it didn't matter to, to the Pharaoh at that time. He's like, he's, he's, he decided simply to bless the family of the favored son, Joseph. Jacob, that gets presented to the king, comes to him destitute, homeless, hungry, no money, no food, no place to live. And he needs the king to bless him. And the king, when he gets presented uh, in this, I, I, it's like, I don't know how you envision this in your mind, but I envision it like, like at a palace with all this luxury all around them. I, I envision like soldiers standing there with like the, the, the spears, you know, like if you were to watch a movie with this thing unfolding, like the king would have all of his attendants there and all of the servants. I envision all this, these banquet tables full of food and this family coming in like, I don't know if it was made out of marble or 
I, I read once where this, this palace is just literally made out of gold. Hello? Or at least one room was made out of gold. And they walk in, and he has no money. He just needs this king to show favor upon him. And the king says, King Pharaoh says to Jacob, what is your occupation? We're shepherds, which is an abomination to the Egyptians. He overlooks that statement, and he simply says, I'm going to give you where you are currently residing because of Joseph, the land of Goshen, which was the most fertile land in Egypt, the best land. I'm giving this land to you. The homes that are there, you can have. I'm giving you housing. The livestock that you brought, you could keep them. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, if you guys are able, I'm going to put you in charge of all of my own life, the livestock of the king. So he gives them a job to boot. You walk in homeless and without money and without any way of making money, and you walk out having homes, land, and a job. Hello? Isn't that awesome? That's a good day. But what struck me was God's interpretation of what happened. For what I just explained to you was what literally happened as recorded in Genesis 47. But God's assessment of what happened is not what I would have assessed it as. And God repeats it. So he says it twice. He says this in verse 7. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I, my assessment would have been, and Pharaoh blessed Jacob. But God's interpretation of what took place was, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Totally different. The the king gave him food. The king gave him land. The king gave him a job. The king gave him housing. And yet, God says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. That's the download, by the way. He repeats it a couple of verses later in verse 10. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Some commentators say that he literally blessed him twice. What did he bless him with? Presence of God is a really good answer. It's the only thing that he had was to give him God. And the Lord said to me when we were reading this a couple of weeks ago that this is the word for Salt Church today. That we have been established and now our job Remember the first thing Pharaoh said, what is your occupation? And they said, we're shepherds. When someone says to you, what is your job? What is your occupation? Our job is to be a blesser. We are entering into a year of blessing, but not a year of receiving, a year of giving. We are entering into a year of blessing others. And by the way, I'm not discounting the fact that you might be able to bless others the way the Pharaoh blessed Joseph's dad. 
with finances of some kind. But that's not the real blessing. The real blessing is to give people the Lord, his presence. The real blessing, you could walk in destitute, homeless, without money, and walk out being the blesser. The real blessing comes from him, comes from the Lord. We need to get that. I'm not discounting that he might use you to bless somebody financially. I'm not saying that that's not part of it. But the real blessing is an eternal blessing. By the way, the word, I asked for a unique word, a special word for us for this year. And the word that um, he gave me just yesterday was uh, blessternal. We are blessternal beings, which means we are to bless people eternally, not to bless them temporarily, not to bless them with worldly stuff, but to bless people with eternal things. We're blessternal beings. That was almost anticlimactic. I expected like, so. If we truly knew what we have, we would be able to bless people with what the Lord himself has already given us. I love and I can never say the word. I I don't even know. I don't know what the right pronunciation is. Philemon, Philemon, Philemon. I don't know. Uh, and Philemon, in the book of Philemon, I love the way Paul handles, Paul actually understood the blessing that he carried from the Lord. If you remember, one of the, there was a slave that Paul, um, Paul evidently had some sort of an interaction with Philemon, and as a result of that interaction, Philemon gets saved and, and has a relationship with God. I don't know how it went down. It's not recorded. They have some sort of a meeting. Before the meeting, Philemon's not saved. After the meeting, Philemon is saved. Philemon has a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus escapes from being a slave. And only because of God's ordination, Philemon, I mean, uh, Onesimus also runs into Paul. And I don't know how that meeting went down either. But Onesimus comes out of that meeting being saved. And so Paul decides to write a letter to Philemon, the, per, the first person that, he, that he, uh, the Lord saved through him, to tell him about Onesimus. And he's sending Onesimus back to him. And he says, when he comes back, receive him as a brother, not as a slave. It's super cool. But when he tells him that in the letter, he says to Philemon, he says, receive him back as a brother, if you would. I forget exactly how it's worded, but he's actually saying, I'm commanding you to do this, but it's your choice. What? I'm giving you this command to receive him back as a brother, but I'm praying that you will do it on your own will, not on my will. I'm praying that you'll do it voluntarily, even though I'm commanding you to do this thing. And then he follows it up by saying this, not to mention that your very own self is saved because of me. I'm not wording this exactly the way it's worded in the book, but I think it's super cool. He's like, I need you to do me this favor. I'm commanding you to do me this favor. But I'd rather you do it on your own. Because... 
the very fact that you even are alive is because of me. He knew what he carried. And then he ends the letter by saying, there might be a time in the future when I come to visit you, so prepare a place for me. What? Anybody ever receive uh, phone calls like that from distant family members? I'm not sure what my holiday plans are, but just in case I stop by your place, prepare a home for me. Be like, yeah, whatever, dude. Go to the cobblestone. Click. No, I'm just kidding. Paul knew what he carried. He carried the presence of God. He wasn't arrogant. I know it sounds arrogant. He really wasn't. He really was just a man that knew what he carried and knew that if you saw what he had, you would beg for him to stay in your house. You would desire for him to stay. If you knew that Paul was coming to Corey to preach at a conference, you'd be banging on my door saying, he can stay at my house, he can stay at my house, he can stay at my house. Because you would want what Paul carried. And Paul would walk in knowing what he carried and almost without even trying to would bless your home. And here we are. We are carriers of the Lord himself. He resides in you. We are the donkey that carried Jesus on Palm Sunday. We carry the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit. And we must, not because of what I'm saying, but because of what the Lord says, we must figure out how we can give that. We need to be blessternal. We need to bless others with what we already have. Now it's 10 after 12, and I'm not going to preach the second half of this message today. That was first half. I'll just give you a little verse. Remember when I said Joseph was a type of Christ? We are a type of Joseph's brothers. Which means that we're talking about this presentation in front of the king. There's also going to be a time. There's going to be another time when you yourself are going to be at the palace. And you are going to be presented to the king. We are going to be the ones that are going to stand before the Lord, the real king, the king of kings. We are. And there's a verse that talks about that in the book of Jude. If I could find Jude, which is right before Revelation. If I could find Revelation, which is at the end of the book. Here we go. Net says this, now to him, capital H, meaning Christ Jesus, now to Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you 
faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. There is a time when you yourselves will be placed into the bodies of Joseph's brothers, so to speak, being presented to the king. And it's going to be Jesus' honor to present you. And he'll have exceeding joy. And he's not going to present you as you are. He's not going to present you as the brother that sold somebody into slavery. He's going to present you as faultless with exceeding joy. That's a joyful time. That's awesome. Now, if you put these two kind of pictures together in your mind, you're going to be, at some point in time, being presented to God himself by the mediator, by Jesus Christ, who's going to present you as being faultless. And you take the first picture in which Jacob is being presented to the king, the earthly king. The king holds everything. The king holds the land. The king holds the wealth. The king holds the job. And yet, Jacob blessed the king. You, our first job is to bless the king. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's what we are to do. We are to be blessternal beings, but we are to bless the king first. We are to bless him. And there's all sorts of scriptures that explain how. How can we bless God? Well, that's what this year is going to teach us. We got, I don't know, 50 some more weeks of learning about how to be a blesser. So stand up. Let's receive this into our souls as we learn how to bless the king. There's value in the blessing. I kept this word that the Lord gave to me a couple weeks ago, kind of close to the vest. I had some people asking me, well, what is it? What is the word that the Lord gave you? And I wouldn't tell them. So I did not tell the worship team what the Lord shared with me. And yet their song today, the blessing, the blessing. God kind of confirmed it, didn't he? So let's, let's, let's petition the Lord right now. So, Father God, we are standing before you as your bride, as your church. And in so many ways, Lord, we too, when, especially when we stand before you, in so many ways, we are the destitute ones. We are the poor ones that just are coming to you. But just like you changed Jacob's name, you also change us. We go from being the ones in need to being the ones that has an overabundance. From being ones that need to be blessed to being ones that give the blessing. Lord, we can't do that on our own. We can't do that without you. So, Lord, as we spend time with you this year, teach us and show us, reveal to us, give us fresh revelation on how, how did Jacob bless the king? How can we bless you? 
reveal to us. Teach us to put on that hat. Show us how we can wear that name tag that says, Bless her. Bless her, Lord. First to you, then to each other, and then to the world. May we bless you this year. May we bless each other this year. And may we bless the world. And may we do it all in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to have a year of blessing, troops. Let's do this thing.